It's good to uh, it's good to be back in the Lord's church. John chapter one. We're going to uh, pick up where we left off last week. Um, just uh, before I before we get into that, I want to just encourage you not to not to dwell on the things that you see and hear on the news and on the radio and people who come to you with all of the um, insanity that is happening in the world today. Keep your eyes on the, on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the gospel. We are not of those who desire to get caught up in anything other than the gospel. And uh, even the Christian world around us, folks, is chasing after things that they, in their minds, think will help them in the mission. And it won't help them. In fact, all it's doing is causing tremendous division. So... Just wanted to encourage you in that. Stay, keep your mind on the things of God. Follow the scriptures. And make much of Christ. That's that's the idea. All right, John chapter 1. Beginning at verse 24. Um, No, verse 29, excuse me. The next day, he, John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Father, we ask once again that you would oversee and superintend this sermon today by your Spirit. <clears throat> what we do here, we do not want to do in the flesh. And so we submit ourselves to you and we rely upon the Holy Spirit to teach us from your Word. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue with this passage on the testimony of John the Baptist about Christ. We recognize him. He recognized Jesus as the Lamb of God. As the one who would atone for human sin by the removal of it. For all who would believe in him. 
And that classifies, John classifies those people as the world of believers as opposed to the world of unbelievers. And both are spoken of that way in Scripture. For example, Peter writes in 2 Peter 2 verse 5, If God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. What we see here is John saying that Jesus is the atonement for the world without distinction. All different kinds of people will be born again through faith in Christ, redeemed by His blood of both Jew and Gentile. Notice the next verse. This leads us to the next verse. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now, this is the third time now that we see this statement in the Gospel of John. Similar statements are made in chapter 1, verse 15, verse 27. So John is acknowledging the mission God had given him to make the Messiah known. And to make him known as the one who existed before he existed. In other words, Christ was the pre-existent one. We saw that in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was the same was in the beginning with God. There's no question as who He's talking about here. He was, John is simply holding true to his mission as the forerunner without upstaging himself against Christ. He was perfectly, he was perfectly satisfied in preparing the way for one greater than himself. Now notice the next phrase. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. (coughs) John did not grow up knowing who the Messiah would be. Now if you'll recall back in Luke chapter 1, when, when it was made known that Mary came to Elizabeth, you remember, and it was made known that she was with child by the Holy Spirit, uh, John leaped in his mother's womb as a result of that. But they were infants. There was no way that they could know that connection other than the Spirit working. John was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And so he reacted when the Son of God in Mary's womb, came into view. And though he was Jesus' cousin, he probably did not grow up in the same area and probably didn't see Jesus very much, if at all, as a boy. 
John was in Judah. Jesus in Galilee. They very likely had very little contact with one another. However, this statement, when he says here in uh, verse 31, I did not know him, but came for this purpose. When he makes that statement, it, it goes far beyond a physical acquaintance. It's much higher. It points to a supernatural knowledge of who he was, of who Jesus was, and John's estimation of that. We see it in verse 33. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize told me. I'm not going to elaborate on that right now, but that's God the Father telling him who to look for. In other words, the phrase is not saying that that John did not know about Jesus or that he did not eat. That he didn't even know Jesus existed. It's simply saying he did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So John reveals the reason and the purpose that he came baptizing. And this is what he says. That he, Christ, might be revealed to Israel. Hmm. Seems a little strange, doesn't it? That he wouldn't say that he might be revealed to the world? No, he came to be revealed to Israel. Because Israel was God's favored people. It was to the Jews that Jesus came. And though he is the Savior of all who believe in the, in, in the entire world, he first came To Israel. John says it. He came to his own. A vivid illustration of this is given. In Matthew chapter 15. I'll ask you to turn with me to Matthew 15. Matthew chapter 15. So notice what, notice what it says. Verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now this is a Canaanite woman. This is a Gentile woman who is coming out crying after the Lord. And she says, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. It's significant that she was from Canaan. Because the Jews had nothing to do with the Gentiles. Notice verse 23, very uncharacteristic of the Lord. 
But he did not answer her a word. Oh Lord, help me, help me. My daughter is possessed by a demon. How would that appear to you? She kept on. She kept on. Finally, she, seeing the Lord wasn't going to speak to her, she turned to the disciples. Tell your master to listen to me. Over and over she says this. And they came to the Lord and said, and they were begging him, send her away. She's crying after us now. Send, send this woman away. The disciples recognized her for who she was. A Gentile, a barbarian, a pagan. A Gentile dog. You ever wonder why the word dog is used there? Because in Bible times, dogs were not revered as they are today. They're not, they weren't loved as they are today. Dogs were seen as mongrel animals. Animals that you want to shoo away from you, get away from you. Not like the little pits that we have in our time. The Gentiles were looked down upon like that. Notice verse 24. So Jesus now answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Oh. Oh, all of her hopes of getting help for her daughter, or being dashed. Even Jesus was now saying, you're a dog. Look at verse 26. And he answered her. She knelt down, begged him, help me, Lord, help me. And he answered her, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. How much more can be said? What would you have done? I think I would have turned tail and run. I think I would have been so humiliated, so discouraged, that I would have just left. Shocking words from the Savior. In fact, to the Greeks... The word dog was used of a shameless, audacious woman. In connotation, the word was vulgar. Very very much like the vulgar word that we use for a female dog today. Verse 27, look at it. She said, yes. Lord, yes, Lord, even, but yet even the dogs eat crumbs. That fall from their master's table. Wow, what humility this woman is displaying. Essentially, she is saying, Lord, you're my master. All I want is just some crumbs from your table. That's all I want. Just a crumb. And Jesus said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire in her daughter." was healed instantly. 
You see, Jesus came first to Israel. The Jews were of all people the most favored people in the world by God. It was to Abraham and his seed that God had made promises founded upon his grace. It was to them that the Messiah came. And it wasn't until much later in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, that Peter actually took the the gospel to the Gentiles in Cornelius' house, as we will see later. We'll refer to that in a few moments. And salvation was then open to the Gentiles. Before that, very few Gentiles responded at all to the gospel. John said that he came baptizing so that Christ would be revealed to Israel. That word revealed indicates that John made it perfectly clear who Christ was, who Jesus was. He was the Messiah. It was made understandable. The Jews could not go away and say, we did not know. John had told them, and it was in plain speech enough that they understood. And yet, they rejected. Kenneth Wiest writes, It was the invisible God who is who in the person of His Son was made visible to human eyesight by, by assuming a human body and human limitations. This word revealed also indicates the character of the one he was speaking of. One may appear to be something, but be false in their appearance. I could robe myself in a doctor's coat, put a stethoscope around my neck, walk around a hospital, but that doesn't make me a doctor. I would would not be revealing the truth about who I am. But when John revealed Christ, there was no mistaking of it. He was the Christ, the Messiah. John is saying that Jesus was undisguised. That there was no falseness in who he was. To be revealed in this way is to display one's true character. And this Jesus did everywhere he went. But as we see in verse 11, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Notice verse, let me turn back to John here. Notice verse 33. And John bore witness, verse 32, I'm sorry. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now John begins to testify of the supernatural way that he received this information. This is very much like what the Apostle Paul did in Galatians chapter 1 when he said that the things he received, he did not receive from man. 
He wanted the people to understand that what he was telling them was by divine revelation. And John is saying the same thing. It was God who told John what to look for. This is the only place in scripture where we learn what God actually told John. We understand that there were scores of people being baptized by John at this location on this day when Jesus came approaching him. And so I want you to get the scene in your mind. Hundreds of people are in this place. John has been preaching and he's been baptizing and Jesus comes approaching him. He calls out. This is the Lamb of God. Look, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes to him as we see in Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3. And we find that Jesus is baptized by John. This, this baptism was absolutely essential. If you'll recall from the synoptic Record, John did not want to baptize Jesus, but rather wanted Jesus to baptize him. And what did Jesus say? No, let's leave this for now. So that we fulfill all righteousness. Luke chapter 3 verse 21 says, Now when all the people were baptized... And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. This was no private baptismal ceremony. It was right out in the public, right out in the open with hundreds of people watching. Jesus was baptized along with everybody else that came along that day for John to baptize. Up until that time, John was not exactly sure who the Messiah would be. Jesus is another person in the crowd to be baptized until he recognizes. And so John was looking for a sign that had been given to him by the Father. And that sign was the sign of the dove. The sure sign of the Spirit Settled on the Savior that day. Turn to Matthew chapter 3 with me. Notice, uh, notice, I'll read the account. You follow. Beginning at verse 13. Now in John, in John's testimony in chapter 1 of, of the Gospel of John that we're in here, John is thinking back in time. Here's the actual account in Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, let it be for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented and when Jesus was baptized 
Immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Why the dove? The dove was considered to be a sacred bird in Palestine. The Jews were very familiar with the dove and its significance. If you'll recall, it was a dove that Noah sent out from the ark. After the flood, the rabbis of Israel used the dove imagery to say that the Spirit of God fluttered over the initial chaos of the creation, bringing about beauty and order. And Genesis 1 verse 2 says that God's Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. You get that sort of imagery. It was doves that were offered as a poor person's offering among the Jews. John had witnessed, what John witnessed in Matthew 3 was a visible manifestation of the anointing of Jesus as the Messiah by the Holy Spirit. It was his anointing. Now, the word anointing has been adulterated in our time. And it just simply means, it just simply means a a recognition. Someone, someone is anointed for a particular purpose to do a particular task. This was Jesus' anointing. John saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him. This word saw that that he uses here is a word that has the idea of of looking at one with wonder and with admiration. Looking, gazing upon something so that it stimulates one's moral and mental faculties. Something you're impressed with. Something you want to keep your eyes on. What John saw was the glory that is only seen in heaven. That's what he saw. It wasn't just a quick look and then you're on your way. It was a, it was a gaze that lasted after it took place. He kept the picture of it in his mind. Over and over and over again, he could play it, he could see it. This was the same kind of look that the women had in Luke 23, verse 55, when they were looking into the empty tomb. They saw it. It's a, it's a look like going to the theater and keeping your eyes on the show.
It's, it's like watching a theater, but it's heaven's theater. Peter refers to the anointing of Jesus in his sermon at the house of Cornelius. Look at Acts chapter 10 with me. This is all coming together to show the anointing that Jesus had and why he was anointed. Acts chapter 10, Peter is now at Cornelius' house, having seen the vision and gone with the servants that came to, to bring him. And so he's come into his house and Cornelius comes and bows down before Peter. Peter tells him to stand up. Don't worship me. Notice verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. I wish that our brothers who have been sucked into the social Uh, This social gospel movement would take hold of that. God shows no partiality. It doesn't matter where you're from, who you are, where you were born, what your family is, what the color of your skin is. It makes no difference. God shows no partiality. That was just a little rabbit trail. I'm going to get back to it now. Truly, I understand God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. Why would Peter mention that? Because that marked the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So Peter alludes to the fact that Jesus was anointed by God, by the Holy Spirit, For the task that was set before him. Both of his earthly ministry and of his mission to the cross. John had recognized Jesus as the Messiah before his baptism. But when the Spirit came down from heaven and set upon him, that was confirmation that he was indeed the one. The point is, is that John did not come to understand all these things by his own human cognitive powers. And that's true of every 
person on earth that understands anything from heaven. It was a truly supernatural revealing. And it's true of you and me. People do not come to know or understand spiritual things on their own. They can't. Because they're dead to those things. They can't see them. They can't hear them. They can't understand them. This is stated categorically in Scripture. I'll read a couple of them for you. Matthew 16, verse 17, when Jesus said, Who do people say that I am? And they said, Well, you're Elijah or John the Baptist or a prophet or, well, you know. Well, who do you say that I am? Peter said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did Jesus say? He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. My Father revealed that to you, Peter. You didn't get it on your own. You say, well, that was a special case. Jesus was right there with them and it was a special time. He was asking him a special question. Listen to this. Paul writes, the natural person, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person, the unbelieving person, person, the person without saving faith, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned or understood. That's why sometimes you talk to people about the Lord and you just sort of get a deer in the headlights look. That glazed over look like, hmm, hmm. Until the Spirit of God breaks through, they don't understand. And that's why the gospel is so important, because the gospel is the only thing that can bring that to light. It's the only thing that can actually tell a person or bring a person to the place of understanding. The anointing of the Holy Spirit on Jesus is not to imply that he didn't have the Spirit with him. Jesus was God in the flesh and the Holy Spirit was always with him. What this is saying is that the anointing was to inaugurate his earthly ministry. This is when his ministry actually started. And if you recall, right after that, John's disciples, which we'll see in the next passage, John's disciples left and followed Jesus. And rightly so. It remained on him. It stayed on him. It was always guiding and empowering him to do the will of the Father. And that was prophesied as well. Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is speaking of Christ. Isaiah 61.1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Over and over, the prophets prophesied that this would take place. This was a blow to the Gnostic heresy that said that Jesus was simply 
a man and that he received the Spirit on him at his baptism, but the Spirit left him when he went to the cross. If that's the case, my friends, we're all lost here this morning. Because Jesus was just any other ordinary man. But we know that scriptures teach he was not any other ordinary man. He was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. John repeats the fact that he did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but compares his ministry of baptism to the ministry of Jesus' baptism. Now, why does he do that? It is because John's baptism was a ritual baptism, and Jesus' baptism was real baptism. John's baptism was with water. As I stated a few weeks ago, you can dunk yourself in water all you want to. It won't even wash all the dirt off of your body, much less your soul. But Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, why does he say that, though? What, what, what purpose would John have in saying that to these people that are gathered around? Well, it's because baptism John practiced was a baptism of immersion which fits the picture of spirit baptism. The literal meaning of the word baptizo means to dip, to submerge, to immerse in water or some other medium. A study of the 77 New Testament uses of the word baptizo in the Gospels and Acts are associated with literal water baptism. It appears that the emphasis on this word and the fact that it means to immerse indicates that there is a change that takes place in the thing that's immersed. The iron changes hardness when it is immersed in water or oil after being heated. The cloth or the hair changes color. When it is immersed in the dye. The drunk changes his personality when immersed in alcohol. The ship changes from floating on the water to sinking when it is immersed in the water. It indicates change. It indicates identifying and having a change. So figuratively then... The word baptizo pictures an introduction or placing of a person into a thing, a new environment, from an old environment. So that the thing is altered in its condition or relationship to its previous environment. This is the change that takes place in every believer when they're born again. And baptized by the heavenly baptizer, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in that sense then, baptizo means to be identified with something. So then being baptized with the Holy Spirit is to be identified with the Holy Spirit. And it's the very same thing that the Apostle Paul calls being baptized into Christ Jesus in Romans chapter 6, verse 3. 
It pictures the death, burial, and resurrection in in vivid physical form as a picture of the spiritual baptism that takes place in the soul. John was using the physical analogy of water baptism to teach the spiritual reality of the believer being united with Christ through the Holy Spirit who dwells within them and who changes them. Now, can we substantiate that with with other scriptures? Yes, we can. Paul uses these illustrations in at least three different places. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2, listen to what it says. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. So what, what does that mean? They didn't get wet, did they? No, they didn't. But they were covered with water on all sides except their feet. It wasn't about, it wasn't about water. It was about being identified with Moses. Colossians chapter 2 verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So when a person is baptized, it pictures the death, their death in Christ, their resurrection in Christ, and they get out of the water into a new life changed Individually, that water didn't change them. It was the spirit that changed them. It was being, it was the spirit they were baptized in or with that changed them. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. None of those passages speak about water baptism. Every single one of them are speaking about the work of Christ who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me alleviate your confusion because if, if you've listened to uh, some other teaching, you'll, you'll hear the word baptized in the Spirit. Oh, I've been baptized in the Spirit. What, how do you know you've been baptized in the Spirit? Well, our, uh, our Pentecostal brethren, and I believe many of them are brethren, would say, well, the sign for that is speaking in tongues or doing some other thing. And, and I reject all of that. I don't believe that's true. Being baptized in the Spirit happens once. It happens when you come to faith in Christ. You believe on Jesus for salvation. He baptizes you with the Spirit and makes you His The Spirit comes in to you and abides in you and fills you and you are His forever. It happens once. Now you can be filled with the Spirit many times. I prayed this morning that God would fill me with His Spirit to preach. I didn't pray that He would baptize me. I was baptized in the Spirit when I was saved. I hope that clears some of that up for you. For in one spirit were we all baptized into one body, 
Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink the one spirit. Jesus' baptism was far greater than the baptism of John, and John wanted everyone to know it. That's why he testifies, I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now Jesus has another name, another title. John says it's true. He's an eyewitness. I've seen it with my own eyes. We have first-hand testimony of these things being objective truth. Objective truth. This is not a speculation. This is not what somebody thought they saw. This is a first-hand eyewitness giving it to us. All believers are children of God. They are sons and daughters of God. But Jesus is the unique, the only son of the living God. The only one. And the angel answered to Mary and said, The Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Matthew 26 as well. One writer states this. Another example can be found in John 17 where Judas described is Judas is described as the son of perdition. John 6:71 tells us that Judas was the son of Simon. What does John 17:12 mean by describing him as the son of perdition? The word perdition means destruction, ruin, waste. Judas was not the literal son of ruin, destruction, or waste, but those things were the identity of Judas' life. Judas was a manifestation of perdition. In the same way, Jesus is the Son of God. So the Jews knew that to claim to be the Son of God was to claim equality with God. John 19, verse 7, they answered and said, We have a law, and according to this law, he ought to die because he made himself equal He made himself the son of God. That is equal with God. They knew. And I think the reason that John made this last statement. Was to alleviate any possibility that Jesus was not divine. He's making sure that everyone knows that Jesus is God in the flesh. And as the Son of God, He is the only one who can save sinners from their sin. He's the only one who can rescue them. And He saves and rescues everyone who repents of their sin and believes in His name for forgiveness of their sins. And my friends, that is good news. Because you and I, by the grace of God, have fallen into that category. There's nothing we did. We didn't deserve it. 
Truth is, we don't deserve it now. But we have it. We have it because God has given it to us by His grace. This is, the, this is where we ought to dwell. Forget about the nonsense that's going on in evangelical circles today. It will not do you any good. I have to keep up on it because I need to warn you. But you don't need to dwell on those things. If you hear about them, you understand that the Scripture is sufficient, the Gospel is powerful, and Christ is right at the center of it all. We stay with Him. We stay with with the book. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We pray Your blessings upon this day and this service. We thank You for the Word of God. We thank You for John's testimony of who Christ is. Uh, And we resound with those words. We testify that this is the Son of God. He is our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Sovereign. And we love Him. And we desire to follow Him and be obedient to Him, come what may. Pray, we pray You would give us the strength of Your Spirit to follow and to believe. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just a couple of uh, prayer requests uh, before...